Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. We're speaking with Leo Holman uh, of WorldNet Daily, an author of a very, very important new book, Stealth Invasion, Muslim Conquest Through Immigration and Resettlement, Jihad. We're talking about female uh, genital mutilation. We're talking about doing this barbaric procedure on six- to eight-year-old girls. Uh, In this country, according to our laws, that strikes me as being child abuse. And anyone who actually did that would end up, uh, obviously, in prison. Uh, And so you can't have in our country, in our nation, two parallel legal systems where adherence to a specific religion sort of get a free pass on doing things that would be uh, immoral, unthinkable, and illegal to the vast majority of the citizens of the United States. And it's not just female uh, genital mutilation. Think of all of the other things, the way uh, the Sharia law mandates the treatment of women. Uh, they are not first-class citizens. They are something below animals with how they're treated in Sharia law. Is that true, Leo Holman? Well, uh, you know, don't ask me. Ask former Muslim women about that, uh, Dr. Dan. They they will tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, about the difference in uh, how women are viewed uh, and under the two systems, under the... Uh, Islamic law, a woman is worth half of a man in terms of a family inheritance, uh, requires multiple male witnesses to testify to prove a rape, and if she can't find those male witnesses, then she is guilty of adultery and uh, could be flogged or even killed. Uh, The man under Islam uh, has the uh, right to demand uh, in relations with his wife, uh, and if she refuses, he can beat her. Uh, that is part of Islamic law, wife beating. Uh, the whole issue of honor violence. Uh, we have recently had that rearing its ugly head here in America in several cases. These are things that we were unheard of in America. Female genital mutilation, people wouldn't have even heard of that. And honor honor violence where a husband or a father can beat or kill his daughter uh, or wife for disobedience. Uh, We've had one case in Arizona where a woman was uh, horrifically beaten uh, for disobedience there. 
uh, in a relationship. And then there was another one more recently in near Cleveland, Ohio, where a uh, young woman who was in her late 20s, I think she was 27, if I'm not mistaken, but still living unmarried and living with her father. And uh, she had gone, to, she was an educated uh, young lady, had a pharmacy degree, and was going to a convention in Las Vegas. Well, Daddy wasn't real happy about his daughter going by herself to Las Vegas, unaccompanied by any male family member, which is a main tenet of Sharia law. And apparently they'd had a big argument about it, and she went anyway. When she got back, uh, there was another argument, and lo and behold, he sneaks up into her bedroom. I don't remember the exact time of night, but it was after midnight. She was asleep in her bed, and he puts two bullets into her brain and then tried to say that it was an accident. Uh, and so this was a clear case of honor violence, and his attorney, uh, this case is still ongoing, but in one of the first hearings, his attorney suggested that, uh, said that anyone who would even suggest that this could be an Islamic honor killing uh, must be an Islamophobic bigot. And so uh, he was trying to tamp down that, even though it was all over the media, uh, describing what I just said, and how could anyone accidentally shoot their daughter in the head, not once, but twice, at point-blank range, while she's sleeping. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And then when you throw in the part about the arguments and the going unaccompanied to Las Vegas, there there really is no other conclusion that a jury is going to reach if the facts are all brought out in the in the courtroom. And so, um, you know, this is what we're up against. This is the type of things that we're seeing. Didn't used to see them before, but now they are popping up here in American society because why? We are importing these huge numbers of Sharia-compliant Muslims. Uh, I do have a lot of the numbers in my book, but uh, just one off the top of my head, about 250,000 per year uh, are coming to America from Sharia-compliant societies. That doesn't mean every single one of them is going to be a rigid uh, follower of, of Sharia, but uh, certainly many of them will be. And so year after year, pummeling America with these type of immigrants, many of them coming as refugees, and those people are, in my estimation, some of the most dangerous. Why? Because they're hand-selected by the United Nations. And we know the United Nations is a very un-American, uh, uh, American-hating institution. And to have them picking people to come here as refugees, Dr. Dan, is, in my opinion, uh, not wise, not wise at all. Actually, Leo Homan, it's worse than not wise. We both know that, and I know my listeners know that as well. And you're raising an interesting point, is that when we say anything, when anyone stands up and points out the, the heinous nature of how women are treated, uh, and we are called Islamophobes, and that brings up the whole subject of political correctness. Mm-hmm. 
they that political correctness factor protects Muslim gives them sort of a false protection because normally if an American did any of these things, he would be labeled for what he is, a child molester, a murderer, uh, or whatever, a child abuser, and he would be dealt with according to American laws. We'd say one thing against a Muslim who does exactly any of those things, and all of a sudden we are the we are the guilty party we are the islamophobe so that really gives him leo homan i i i know you agree that gives him kind of a false protection yes and uh this is sort of uh another way of implementing another, yet another tenet of sharia law uh one of the main tenets of sharia law as you know is the blasphemy law. You're not allowed in an Islamic society to say anything that would, what, that would offend the Prophet, be offensive towards the Prophet Muhammad, or to offend Islam itself or other Muslims. And so uh, the meaning of slander is, again, you, you the most important thing I have learned is that we ha- when we're having dialogue with, is- with, with Muslim leaders, we must get them to define their terms. Because this is another example of how Americans get confused, because the Muslim leaders can talk about tolerance and uh, inclusiveness and use all those liberal buzzwords. Uh, and Islamophobia, that's the latest craze. Anyone who does not share their beliefs is Islamophobic. Uh, but, you know, the idea of slander in Islam is a lot different than the, the idea of slander to the Western mind. When we think of slander, we think of something that is said that is untrue and, and therefore defames the character of of an individual because of this untruth that is being spread about the individual. But in the Islamic mindset, anything that offends Islam, Allah or the Prophet, is considered slander and therefore blasphemous. And so by playing along with this PC game of branding anyone who criticizes Islam, whether true or false, an Islamophobic bigot, we are just voluntarily submitting to one of the main tenets of Sharia law, which is the blasphemy law. And so, you know, people talk about jihad and terrorism and, and the, the fear of, 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 of violent extremism coming from Muslim terrorists who want to establish Sharia law. Well, it may not be that cut and dry. What if we are persuaded by the Islamic community to come under certain parts of Sharia law voluntarily. This is what, uh, to me, is, is, is the more subtle uh, aspect of this growing Islamic presence in America, because they're, and they're always pressuring us, always watching what we say, always so eager to lay down the hammer and the label of Islamophobe, and that has cost. Well, if you live in a Muslim society, you may lose your head for violating a blasphemy law. In America, you're more likely to lose your job and lose your reputation 
And I don't think that's the type of uh, freedom of speech that we're used to in this country. I think it's being subtly but gradually taken away from us. And if we don't stop and look and listen to what's being done, it'll be soon too late. And we'll say, remember those days back when we had freedom of speech in America? Well, political correctness, by its very nature, is anti-free speech. You yeah. are you, you cannot have a First Amendment and the right of free speech if everything you say is subject to criticism because it offends people. And I don't know anywhere. I've read the Constitution many times. It's four handwritten pages. It's definitely not difficult to understand. But I have yet to see anywhere in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or any of the amendments to the Constitution a right not to be offended. There, it does not exist. I have the right to offend you, and you have the right to either offend me back, turn, turn away and not listen to me, uh, or call me whatever name you want. But nevertheless, that does not invade my personal space to have you say something that I don't like or to have me say something that you don't like. So now it has gone way beyond that, where on college campuses, where all of these points of view should be openly discussed, debated, uh, and dissected for every student to, to understand and, and make up his mind about. You cannot say certain things. If you come on college, look at what's happening. You bring a, a conservative speaker to a college campus, and the next thing you know, you have buildings that are being burned down. That is about as anti-free speech and un-American as you can get. It really is, Dr. Dan, and I'm afraid we're going to see more of it if we don't stand up and speak out while we still have the chance. And this leads me to another issue I bring up in the book, is this growing alliance between the uh, Islamic movement in America and the far-left, uh, secular, atheist, whatever you want to call them, globalists in this country. Uh and that takes me back in the book. I trace it to a document that was seized by the FBI uh, in 2004 and presented as evidence in a trial in Texas in 2007 called the Holy Land Foundation trial. This was the biggest terror financing trial ever prosecuted on U.S. soil, and it was very successful until uh, Eric Holder shut it down uh, when, in the Obama administration. But getting back to this document... It was called the Explanatory Memorandum uh, for the Strategic Goals for the Brothers in North America, and it was a Muslim Brotherhood document. And it talks in this document very openly about infiltrating and destroying the Western civilization from within. And the way that they would do this, uh, the author of this document said, would be uh, to use the hand of the believer and the unbeliever. And it talked about uh, using, uh, cultivating alliances with sympathetic non-Muslim organizations to bring down this, quote, miserable house of Western civilization. And you can see them doing that on our ca college campuses, as you said. Uh, uh, they're 100 percent linked up with these Marxist professors and Marxist organ student organizations. The Muslim Brotherhood has a chapter on every college campus It's called the Muslim Student Association. Very radical. And uh, 
it seems like uh, all of this cultural Marxism we see going on in our country, you know, the whole same-sex marriage thing, you know, that came out of left field a couple of years ago uh, with the same-sex marriage movement. But you saw same-sex couples walking into Christian bakeries and Christian florist shops and demanding that they service their wedding. And if you didn't, you were called a homophobe uh, and a bigot and some kind of right-wing nut that needed to close down your business. But we never saw these uh, same-sex couples going into a Muslim bakery or a Muslim flower shop or a Muslim photographer shop and demanding services for their wedding. So there, you see this alliance in play right now in America. Another example. We have, uh, for years now, uh, noticed that any semblance of Christianity in public schools uh, is immediately struck with a lawsuit by the ACLU or some other left-wing organization saying, oh, you can't do that. We took the Bible out many, many decades ago, and you certainly can't have a prayer group here meeting on your school campus. You can't be praying before class. You can't be... Uh, doing this, you can't do anything that has anything to do with Christianity, practicing Christianity. You're lucky if you'll get a few lessons on the history of Christianity. But in recent years, since about 2010, we have been seeing Islam subtly injected into the classroom of the public schools across America. And there is one program after another, not talking about the history of Islam, but how to practice Islam and the five pillars of Islam. There uh, is a uh, well-known program called Access Islam that was developed by PBS, Public Broadcasting System, uh, with a U.S. government grant from the Department of Education that's all about how to be a good Muslim and how to do the five pillars and talks and interviews different Muslims from around the world about how wonderful their faith is, this yada, yada, yada. Have you heard of any lawsuits, Dr. Dan, from the ACLU? Of course not. And there or from the uh, American Secular Humanist Society? Of course not, and there won't be any. Because as, no. you, as you appropriately detail, this is part of the plan to indoctrinate school children. And that, that has been a, a program of dictatorships and tyrants for decades and decades. You indoctrinate the children, and they grow up to be a compliant body of believing adults who are impervious to facts and the truth. Even the Saudis do it with their madrasas, where they indoctrinate their own children to believe in Islam and in jihad and to hate Jews, to hate Israel, and to hate America. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the plan. I believe you're right. And so I started compiling a list of, of things that the Islamic movement and the secular leftist Marxist movement have in common. Because when you look on the face of it, you, at least I was at, a little bit incredulous when I first started investigating it, you know, because Sharia law is so fundamentalist and so uh, God-centered and, uh, and so rigid, and everything that liberals stand for, it seems like, would 
fly in the face of Sharia law. But when I started looking a little deeper, I started making a little more sense of it. And if you look at what they do have in common, I think it's more powerful than what they don't have in common. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Yeah, when I play the hoochie-coochie man, I get joy in everything. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Oh, <laughs>